God and the other team, right? And, and do you believe that God would dissuade or distract you from himself? Absolutely not. That's the enemy trying to dissuade us. So anything that, that distracts us from seeking God is, is demonically influenced. Okay, so when I say facing your demons, it doesn't mean that you are possessed. I don't want anybody emailing me, right, and saying, oh, you, you talked about us facing our demons, you're calling me possessed. No, I'm not, unless you are. But anyway, just, so I just wanted to clear that up. So, but the Jews that Jesus is talking to, he was, they were definitely, definitely distracted. Right? And Jesus had even told them in the past that they had hard hearts. Their hearts were hardening to the truth. Right? And he went as far as to say, you are of your father, the devil. Now understand how powerful that is when you're talking to people who their whole life is based on trying to look righteous and trying to look godly. And Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. And the reason he said that was because they claimed to be the seed of Abraham. They loved to brag that they were God's chosen people because they were the seed of Abraham. And Jesus said, listen, you may be related to Abraham, but you are not the spiritual seed of Abraham because if you were, you would have recognized me and you would have believed in me, right? Abraham would have loved to have seen this day, but yet you reject me despite everything that's happened. See, what happened was that the, the Jews thought that the righteousness came by religion and by the lineages, you know, oh, because they were related to the right people or because of their legalism and they kept all the rules. They thought that's what gave them their righteousness and, and not faith. And this was a real problem. So much so that last week Jesus even said, the people of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba will stand against you in judgment. So he was saying a pagan nation and a pagan queen even were willing to believe when the truth was presented to them, and they will stand in judgment over you, right? So today we're going to see how he's going to reveal that they are still battling some old demons. And today's message is really going to show us that there's no real reformation without repentance. Now, I want you to understand something. All of us face demons, right? And it could be something that you just struggle with, that one thing that keeps coming back in your life that you keep asking God to take away. Anybody have those? Like three of you raise your hand and the rest of you, your problem is pride. No, just kidding, because you won't admit it. We all have those sins that, that continually come back on us. We all have demons in life, things that distract us from God. And to be honest with you, sometimes the thing that distracts us from God can even appear to be good, like religion, right? Like religion, or like, you know, doing good work. Sometimes we get tied up in that rather than getting close to God. But one thing we're going to find today is nothing is going to remove those demons except true repentance and turning to God. So let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 43. Jesus said, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this generation, of this evil generation. Okay, this is, this is powerful, and I'll explain that. Now, I know at first this seems kind of confusing, but really it's just a warning. It's just a warning because Jesus was simply warning the Jews of the state of Israel's false repentance. They thought that they had repented and turned back to God because they were keeping the rules. 
because they were, they were religious. They thought that they were, they were turning back to God. But it was a false repentance. They hadn't really repented. Now let me clear something up here, and this is something I hear all the time and people ask me all the time. The word repent in the Greek simply means a change of mind or direction. It simply means a change of mind or direction. Now Christians debate all the time whether becoming a believer requires repentance. Anybody ever hear that? Okay, that's a huge debate because some Christians have more time than common sense and they like to fight rather than to love people. So that's why I guess this argument exists. But what fuels this debate is that some see repentance as another step that you have to add to believing in order to become a Christian. Some believe that, right? Now, others say that it's something totally separate from salvation because all Jesus requires for salvation is faith alone. So you can't have anything to do with repentance because that's, that would be another step and that wouldn't line up with Scripture. And, they, and the people who believe that will quickly point out that, you know, Jesus said that, you know, he who believes has eternal life. He doesn't say anything about repenting. Okay, now honestly, they're both kind of right in a sense because they're, there is a repentance that has nothing to do with salvation. There is a repentance that has nothing to do with salvation. Remember, it's just a change of mind. And in our time, it would be something like maybe you were really sold out into investing in a certain stock. And then all of a sudden, before you invest, you see that the stock is falling. So you have a change of mind or direction. Biblically, that would be the definition of repenting. You've changed your mind. Is it have, does that have anything to do with anything spiritual? No. You just changed your mind. There are times, anybody ever eat something that you absolutely love and it just destroys you? Has that ever happened to anybody? And the next time someone says, hey, let's go here, you're like, no, I have repented of that. <laughs> I have changed my mind. I am not eating that. I've changed my direction on that, not eating that anymore. So there is a brand of repentance that has nothing to do with salvation. But there is also a repentance that comes with salvation. It comes when we believe. And hopefully this will clear this up. Listen. The moment that you believe who Jesus really is, that means that you have changed your mind about who he is. You have went from believing he is not your savior and you don't need him to believing that he is the savior and that you need him. So there is a change of mind that happens simultaneously when you believe. So faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. You can't change your mind about Jesus without believing and you can't believe without changing your mind about jesus so let's end that debate there is no separate step of repentance the moment you change your mind about jesus is the moment you believe so it's two separate sides of the same coin now that being said i just wanted to clear that up but that being said israel had tried to repent by just becoming more religious and bigger legalist i mean bigger legalist they listen there was no excuse for them not to believe. They had heard the preaching of John the Baptist, the first prophet in 400 years. And let's face it, he wasn't somebody that you could ignore. If we're talking a guy walking around in a camel robe, long hair, long beard, eating bucks. Remember it said they were eating locusts and wild honey? I like to think it's like chicken nuggets. But you couldn't miss the guy, right? You couldn't, you couldn't miss this guy. So they had heard the preaching of Jesus and John the Baptist. They had seen all the miracles that Jesus had performed. They had watched him do amazing things, yet they still didn't truly repent and turn to God. Because if they would have, they would have believed in Jesus. So they became like the people that God described in Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. 
Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. This is exactly what the Jews had become. They were so distracted, the demon they were battling was religion, was legalism, was self-righteousness, and they had become so distracted with that that they couldn't even see their Messiah in front of them. Despite the fact that every last prophecy about the coming Messiah he was fulfilling right in front of their eyes, despite that, they refused to believe in him because they were battling that demon of religion and self-righteousness. Right Now sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we do the same thing with religion and self-righteousness. Sometimes as Christian people, we think that it's more important that we show up to church when the doors are open, that we volunteer at Christmas, that we do our, you know, do our stint in the nursery. I shouldn't say it like that. But I'm going to tell you something. I am not called to nursery ministry, okay? Not called to that. But we think if we just do those things, then we're righteous. We forget about loving other people, showing other people the love of Christ. We forget about sharing the gospel. We forget about living a life that, that illuminates Christ to people. We forget about those things, and we start to become kind of like the Jews and just depend on being religious, okay? And that can become a demon that you'll battle because you can be as religious as you want. You can show up to church as much as you want. You can do good deeds as much as you want, but if you're not living the life, if you're not loving like Jesus loved, you're just, re- you're just religious. You're not effective, And that's a demon you're going to battle for a long, long time. Okay, so, I mean, it does happen to us. So what Jesus was doing here was he was warning them by saying, listen, let me tell you a story to kind of explain the state that Israel is in right now. So he gives them an illustration of demon possession. Now, we all know that that demons could possess people and animals, right? We saw that in the scripture, right? Have you ever had a pet you thought was possessed anybody ever have, have that one but we saw that that he cast demons into a herd of swine remember that and they charged violently down the hill and drowned themselves an old preacher told me one time this is the first time and the only time in the bible that it mentions deviled ham <laughs> wah, wah, wah. anyway i know thank you i'm here till tuesday anyway tip your waitresses right but seriously A demon's whole mission, whether it's in a person or whether it's in an animal, that's whole mission is to destroy people because it shares the same mission as its master. Uh, Satan, look at this, John 10.10. Jesus says, the thief, who's that? Satan, thief, the devil. His purpose is to steal, kill, and what? And destroy. Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So this illustration is not just a warning. It's a serious, powerful warning warning okay now let me explain what he means by this because this is a lot of imagery that he's throwing in here in this in this parable okay now the evil spirit mentioned represents the sin that we battle with that the unredeemed would battle with now do believers battle with this sometimes absolutely but this is what he's talking about because he's talking to israel and they had not believed yet right so when the spirit left it represented israel trying to cleanse themselves trying to clean themselves up 
because their lives have become dirty and unorganized with disobedience. And you can follow it from the Old Testament. They weren't supposed to marry from pagan nations. They did. They weren't supposed to worship idol gods, and they did. They weren't supposed to try to be like the cities that they were in, but they did. And because of that, they were under the control of the Romans, and God had disciplined them time and time again. So their solution to cleansing themselves, their solution was just to become more religious to focus more on tradition and legalism and hopefully that'll clean them up and it worked for a little while because focusing on doing the things that their religion required and focusing on self-righteousness helped them organize their life a little bit and and take the focus off some of the things they were doing wrong right so that worked for a little while and that's what it's talking about when it says that the demon left and came back and found the house cleansed and organized right and put in order because they were trying to put it in order by using religion and tradition and all those things. They were trying to clean themselves up. But the problem with that is there was nothing to guard that space. Because they had not surrendered their hearts to God. They had tried to do it on their own with religion. So they may have picked up and cleaned up, but there was nobody protecting their hearts because they hadn't surrendered to God. Because they were distracted with their religion. So the evil spirit walks in and says, wow, the place has gotten cleaned up. Time to have a party, right? And it goes and finds seven other spirits worse than the first, all right? Worse than the first one. I didn't know demons could be worse. I mean, a demon, I don't want to meet any of them. I don't want to meet the the best demon, do you? You know, but it says he went and got seven that were more evil, basically, than he was. And those seven moved in and absolutely trash the place just trash the place so what this is saying is that when when israel tried to clean themselves up by becoming religious and following rules and and doing the things they were supposed to do they may have organized things for a while but there was nothing protecting their hearts because all they had was religion and so it opened a space for the demon to return and when it returned it made things worse for them and i believe the demons they brought back with them may have been stuff like their self-righteousness and their judgmental nature, and their refusal to listen and see and hear the things that God was trying to show them. These seven demons came into an empty, unguarded heart that was not protected by God, and because it was wide open, they just destroyed it, and it turned Israel into a group of people who believed in religion and rejected God. This is what it's talking about when it says that. So they were worse off than in the beginning because at least they were trying to find God. At this point, they're so comfortable with their religion, they're not even trying to find him when he's right in front of them. They have actually become spiritually blind, so their condition was even worse than in the beginning. Right? So this is a very dangerous place for them to be because, because now their hearts are full, were full of the wrong things. And even though they were full of these demons, full of, of these problems, they still felt completely empty they were empty because they wouldn't recognize their messiah okay does that make that make sense to you everyone just stare at me like i'm not here okay good there good that must mean that you're that you're listening so it's really important to understand it's so easy to end up just like the jews in that respect it's so easy because like the jews we are all created with this god-shaped hole in our hearts the only way we'll ever be complete and have, have the peace and the joy that we were created to have is when we allow God into our life, when we trust God. And we can try our best to fill that emptiness that's in us with all different kinds of things. And they might work for a while. 
but eventually they'll end up destroying us. And I know you know this, and maybe you've experienced this, but when we have that emptiness in us, some people try to fill that with drugs and alcohol. Anybody know anyone like that? I was like that. I was like that. Listen, the church I was raised in made it seem so impossible to believe to become a Christian. And I had this hole I just wanted to fill. I didn't feel peace. So I had to find something to make me feel nothing at all. And I used that, and it worked for a while until it started killing me. Right? Sometimes we try to use drugs and alcohol to fill that space. Sometimes it's relationships. You ever met the person that is just so clingy and so, so desperate to have somebody love them that they put everything they have into relationships? They're trying to fill that God-shaped hole in their heart. That's what they're trying to fill. Have you ever noticed that people will get involved in clubs and organizations and serve them like they'd serve a church? Anybody ever notice that? They're like, oh, I don't like to go to church. They require money. They always want you to give money, and they always want you to do things, yet they will join a lodge that makes them pay dues that they have to do things all the time because they're trying to fill that God-shaped hole. How about sports? Anybody ever meet the person that tries to fill that emptiness with sports? We're not going to talk a lot about that. We'll move on. No. <laughs> Those people are terrible. No, but there are people that are constantly trying to use sports for that. You ever meet the guy that's 43 years old and still plays four different sports a year and drags his wife like she really cares, like he's a teenager? And I say, hey, you guys going to be coming to church? Oh, I can't. I'm playing a tournament this weekend. I'm like, are you going to take your walker? You're 43. You know what I mean? But they're trying to fill that with something. They just want that feeling of belonging, that feeling of family, that feeling of purpose. Because they have a God-shaped hole. And until that hole is filled, they'll never find their divine purpose. The reason they were created, because all of us were created on purpose, with a purpose. And the only way we'll find that is through God. But no matter, no matter what it is that you try to fill that, that hole with, it won't last. It might work for a while. It might distract you for a while and make you forget the condition you're in. But eventually... Eventually, it gets worse. It's like more trouble starts moving into your lives. See the, see the connection here? Because you're filling your heart with something other than Jesus. And the only way to really clean house, the only way to make things right here, where we have that joy and that peace and that direction, is to just turn to God, believe, and let Him move in. And when He fills that space, you'll know. That's what that hole is designed for, to be filled with God. Listen, if you're already a believer, there are times you can feel empty even though you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And I'll be honest, I've been there. Has anybody else been there? Where you've become distracted as a believer and you no longer feel His presence? You know, you need to think, what demon are you battling? Because if something is keeping you from staying close to God, you're at war. You are at war. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's overtime I've heard people say, yeah, I know I haven't been to church in eight weeks because I just can't pass up this overtime. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good thing you don't know the creator of everything who could help you, you know, with that financial situation. Good thing you don't know him. You know what I mean? We can start battling those demons again, and, and we have to surrender that control back to God again if we want to clean up. Now, let's move on. This, this next section seems really random. Let's read this. Matthew twelve forty six. It says, and Jesus was speaking to the crowd, or 
as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak with you. Jesus asked, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Listen to this. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, a lot of people don't understand this section of scripture because it does seem kind of random, doesn't it? Out of nowhere, it just gets thrown in there. But, you know, I'll explain that. We'll do a walkthrough here and I'll explain that in just a second. Right. And another reason people struggle with this is they think, man, it kind of sounds like Jesus is being disrespectful to his mom. You ever heard that? People are like, he won't even go outside for his mother. The Bible says to honor your mother and father. Listen, I promise you Jesus is never breaking a commandment. Trust me on that one. Okay, but it just seems that way. But let's think about it a second. Let's put this in context so we can understand this. Think about it. What has Jesus been talking to the Jews about? In the chapter we've been going through, what has Jesus been talking to the Jews about? Okay, he talked about their religious and radical views about the Sabbath day. Remember, because they didn't want anybody healed on the Sabbath. Jesus said, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? What is wrong with you? They didn't want his disciples to pick and eat grain when they were hungry on the Sabbath. They considered that, uh, you know, harvesting, threshing, preparing a meal. I mean, and he says, listen, your views are wrong about the Sabbath. You have become religious zealots and you're missing the whole point of the Sabbath. That's one thing he was talking to them about. Then Jesus was casting out demons and they said, the only reason you're casting out demons is you are from the devil. And Jesus tells him, listen, why would the devil cast out the devil? That doesn't make any sense. A house divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan were to cast out Satan, his house would fall. So he reminded him about that. Then he had to warn them about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Because they literally took the work of the Holy Spirit, rejected it, and said that it was from the devil. I mean, said that the work of God was from the devil, and he had to warn them, listen, that will never be forgiven, because you're giving up the only avenue to heaven when you reject the Holy Spirit, right? And then last week, they asked, they said, okay, well, just give us a miraculous sign that you're from God. I mean, seriously, he had raised someone from the dead, healed a woman with an issue of blood, right? Someone who couldn't walk their whole life, he healed them, and they were able to walk. One miracle after another miracle after another miracle, and they ignored every one of them. Basically, they were saying, show us a sign that benefits us. Put us in control of Rome. Show us a sign that makes us in power again. Show us something that benefits us, and we'll believe you. So this is the kind of things that he'd had to be, that he was dealing with them on. Right? And they did all this. They acted this way while claiming to be Abraham's children. And Jesus reminded him, listen, Abraham was righteous because of his faith, not because of his religion. Look at Genesis 15, 6. It says, and Abram believed in the Lord. Abram what? Believed in the Lord, didn't believe in anything else. Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his, because of his faith. Right? Because of his faith. So, Jesus wanted them to see that you can't restore yourself without true repentance. There's no restoration without true repentance, changing your mind about everything and turning back to God. 
You're not going to fill that gap with, re- with religion or with legalism or, or any of that extremism. That's not going to fill that gap. The only way you're going to fill that gap is to turn back to God because anything else you use will eventually make you worse off. And then Jesus' mother and brothers come up and want to speak with him. Right? They want to speak with him. But he hesitates. Matter of fact, it never tells us if he did go speak to him. I'm sure he did. But he hesitates. Before he does that, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Right? Seems kind of strange, doesn't it? So who's my mother and who's my brothers? Listen, he wasn't trying to disrespect his family, but what he was trying to do was to show that there is solidarity in faith. That there is solidarity in faith. Right? See, unlike the Jews in their religion and in their self-righteousness, faith makes people become children of God. Faith brings people together under the family of God and makes them brothers and sisters. Religion finds a way to separate. You ever notice religious people and religions are always trying to find a rule that if you don't follow it, you can't be part of the club. You ever notice that? It's almost like that religion is trying to find a way to make sure that we never unify as believers. It drives me crazy when people find out on a pastor and the first question out of their mouth is, what denomination? And I say, Christian. They go, oh, what denomination? I go, uh, Christian. What denomination? Like, I'm illegitimate because I don't have, and I go, we are non-denominational. Evidently, that is a denomination. Then, then they're like, oh, okay. You know, but it's like immediately we want to find, religion wants to find a way to separate. Baptists want to argue with Pentecostals, and Pentecostals want to argue with Catholics, and Catholics want to argue with Lutherans, and it's just a mess. Because religion divides people. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're focusing so hard on religion. You're focusing so hard on your self-righteousness and your legalism that you just prove you have nothing to do with God because God unifies. And yes, my mother, yes, my brothers are out there asking for me, but you know who my real family is? Anyone who believes and does the will of God is my family. That's my mother and that's my brother. But that woman that believes is my sister, and that man who believes is my brother. Because faith brings solidarity. It brings people together. Jesus is saying, I have a family that's bigger than just the one that shares my physical DNA. I have a family that is going to be bound together in the blood of Jesus. That's what he's trying to tell them. I think that's so powerful. Jesus isn't saying, I don't want to talk to my mom right now, I'm busy. That's not what he's saying. Jesus isn't saying, you guys are more important. He's saying, listen, I know my family is waiting, but my family in here needs to hear from me. They need to see what's going on. Because my family is the family of God. And anyone who believes is just as related to me and even more so through faith. He was trying to make a point. He was trying to make a point to teach him that, listen, Your religion and your self-righteousness, that that demon you're battling that keeps you from God and separates you from God's people, listen, it's making you miss the whole message because my family is anyone who believes and anyone who's willing to believe is welcome in because faith brings solidarity. That's what he was trying to teach there. Now, before I close, have you ever noticed, and I'm just asking, you don't have to raise your hands or anything, and I don't know if you've believed or haven't believed, but... Have you ever noticed an emptiness inside you that you just can't seem to fill? I remember before I believed, and I was raised, you know, in church, and it wasn't, you know, 
It wasn't the greatest experience that I had growing up in, in the church I was in, but I was raised in church. And I was, raised, I was raised with religious people, and they pushed me farther away from God than they pulled me in. And I remember I could hide myself through the day, and I could find things to try to fill that hole through the day. But there was always a time, and you guys know this time, when you lay down at night, when no one's talking to you and there's nothing to distract you, that that emptiness shows itself. You know what I mean? Where you start to think about where you stand with God. I, I remember that emptiness. I remember that. If you feel that emptiness, don't fall into the trap of allowing yourself to go to war with some demon that's telling you later, do it later. Or listen, the only reason you're struggling right now and you feel that way is you just need to go out with your friends more. You need to make more money. The reason you feel that way is you need more things and you're not making enough money. Work more. See how the, the, the enemy's just trying to influence us to keep us from trying to fill that? Listen, if you feel that emptiness and you've never had that, that feeling of God's fulfillment and peace in your heart, let me tell you how to fix that. Just believe. Just believe. Trust Christ and let him fill that spot. John 6, 40, Jesus said, For it is the will of my Father that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. That where it says all who see, that word in the Greek means perceive. All who perceive his son, know who he is, and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. If you want that space filled, listen, you can keep trying with money, you can keep trying with relationships, you can keep trying with substances, you can keep trying in a thousand different ways, but you will still wake up empty until you give yourself to Christ. Um, trust me on that one. And listen, if you're a believer, I don't want you to feel like you can't feel empty again because if you get distracted, that can be you. And I know that's happened in my life before, and I know pastors are supposed to act like we never do anything wrong, but that would be a lie. We do. We sin. We're people. We're saved by grace, just like you. Right? And there are times I might even get so busy with church work that I'm not busy enough keeping myself close to God through prayer and reading. And as your pastor, there are times that sometimes the church work can pull me away from my relationship with God, and I have to be very careful. I don't ever want the church work to become the demon I battle that holds me from God. And sometimes I have to say, I feel empty. I don't feel his hand guiding me anymore. And the solution for me and the solution for any other believer is the same as the solution for an unbeliever. You have to give yourself back to him. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. That's ridiculous. But what it does mean is that you've ignored his presence and he's no longer guiding you and you have that emptiness. That's when you need to just turn the control back over to him. And then you'll, you'll have that fulfillment again. This whole section that seems so confusing really isn't. Jesus was just saying, listen, the demons that we battle are anything that distracts you from God. It was religion. It was legalism. It was self-righteousness with the Jews. With us, it could be our work. It could be our relationships. It could be our money. And he's saying, listen, if you want to cast those out for good, surrender yourself to Christ. That's simply what this was saying. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you, would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time here or your first time watching online or listening on podcast, we always like to give a brief invitation. We don't ask people to come up front or do anything like that. But I remember when I was searching that when I sat in a service 
this pastor who was a, I believe he was a teacher in some Bible college at the time, and he, he said, listen, if you want me to just pray for you, lift your hand. And then from the moment I did that, it was almost like I acknowledged to God, yeah, I, you know, I know I'm not where I should be. And the Holy Spirit started moving in me. And so I, I always offer that opportunity. If there's someone here who doesn't have that peace, you still feel empty. You're not sure where you stand with God. That's one of the easiest problems to solve, but you have to acknowledge it. So while every head is bowed, if, if you'd like me to pray for you, just make eye contact with me, put your head right back down, bless those people. And I'm not going to point you out, not going to chase you down, not going to email you. You know what I'm going to do? Bless those people. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray, just like I said. And if you're listening online or watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you too. And listen, believers, I'm going to pray for us because there's nothing more sad than someone who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit and has promised eternal life, but so distracted that they feel empty again. I want us to be able to recognize when we're starting to go to war with those demons again. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. Every week I say this, God, every day I say this, but I'm still amazed that you could love someone like me. I'm still amazed that that you offer eternal life to someone like me, someone who's imperfect and makes mistakes, and you knew I would be that way. But your love and your grace are so much more powerful than my mistakes and my sin, and I am so thankful for that. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you made eternal life free of charge, simply by faith alone. So if there's someone here who doesn't know you, no doubt they've been confused, whether it be by religion or a bad church experience or whatever it may be, something has confused them and muddied the water and made it seem more difficult to become one of yours than it really is. Your word promises that if they can just trust you for your eternal life, if they can believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, you've promised them that you'll give it to them. I just pray that they would make that decision today and trust you to be the God you are. And if they make that decision, I pray they reach out to us so that we can walk with them in their journey. And if it's someone far from here that they find a good Christian friend or Christian organization that they can reach out to so that they can have someone to walk with them in their new faith. And God, if, for those of us who've already believed, it's so easy for us to battle those demons, those things that, that distract us. The enemy knows he can't take our soul, so he'll try to take our effectiveness and just let us be aware of that trap and not fall into it because we want to influence as many people as possible to come to you because we want to see the borders of the kingdom of heaven enlarged. Just give us the strength to be faithful and to stay focused. We thank you, God, for all that you do. We pray that we would live what we confess. We pray that you would keep us safe and watch over us. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we pray that we would come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory that you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.